it's very great to be back. Yeah. I'm so jazzed to be here. Yeah. Welcome to another episode of Oral Max Facts, and we have one of you guys' most favorite recurrent guest speaker, Dr. Brandon Vermis, talking to us about pathology. Yeah, so I figured it would be nice to have an episode um, that kind of is the pathologist perspective on the diagnostic process, because I feel like, um, and tell me if I'm right or wrong here, um, I suspect that for an oral surgeon, it seems like, you know, you you throw a piece of tissue in a bottle, put it in a plastic bag, goes into like a UPS or what have you, and then magically a report comes back. I have no, actually no idea what happens when you throw right. that piece of tissue. Yeah. And so I figure I would, I would spend a brief amount of time um, just kind of describing uh, what happens in the overall process, as well as provide a couple of uh, tips for you to interact with your pathologists a little more efficiently um, and help us get good care for your patients. What's the worst thing you see from us? constantly uh by far the the most common cause for a snag in getting you all a diagnosis is an incomplete form i can't believe this incomplete form well it's you know it in order for us to fully accession it in a system which i'll describe shortly in order for us to accession something in the system we need to have the patient's name date of birth as you can imagine, um, we might like to know the billing information as well. Mm-hmm. And so if any of those things are missing, typically before we put it into our system, we have to go call the office back. Mm-hmm. And every once in a grand while, gratefully it does not happen that often, but every once in a while, I don't even have the clinician's name on the form. So I'm not even mm-hmm. sure who to, who to call. So yeah. make, make sure the forms are filled out. Um, that, that helps prevent delays in the process for sure. I would have not guessed. That'd be the worst thing, but it totally makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the rest of it is, you know, all up to us. Yeah. So yeah. the overall process for us is we, we, we basically get, you know, the form and the bottle mm-hmm. that y'all send us, um, either in the mail. Um, some hospitals have like a local specimen pickup mm-hmm. where, you know, you give them a call and a little truck comes by, <laughs> picks up the specimens, drags them over, uh, yeah. what have you. Sounds very legit. And then we have people who are dead, um, whose main job um, as accessioners is to review the information, verify it with your office staff if necessary. Um, then, then they enter it into our laboratory information system. Okay. Once that's in and their records are created in our system, then uh, the specimen is grossed. What does it grossed mean? Um, I always thought it was a fun little play on words. <laughs> um, but uh, I, 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 it's not, I don't think, uh, sadly. Um, basically what grossing is, is it's the process of taking the piece of tissue that you submit and cutting it into smaller pieces so that it fits into these tiny little plastic containers. Okay. Um, with most oral biopsy specimens, um, you know, you can basically just take the thing that you sent and just pop it into a cassette. That's Sometimes you is. might just have to slice it a couple times, but they're usually pretty small. As you might imagine for like a surgical specimen, like a... Um, like a hemimandibulectomy yes. or something, yeah. um, those are big. Mm-hmm. So for those things, we have to cut it into many smaller pieces mm-hmm. to go in many different um, little plastic boxes. And we call these that little plastic boxes uh, cassettes. Oh, you're um, really like trying to hold on to the old times. Oh, yeah, yeah, right, right. <laughs> you have yeah, VHS. exactly. Yeah, o- old school, some VHS action. VHS. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Um, once... The tissue goes in the cassette. We basically fill it up with paraffin uh, wax. Mm-hmm. And um, then you have what 
is called a block. So sometimes if you're sending out for like genetic testing or like molecular testing, um, since clinicians sometimes fill out those forms, mm-hmm. it'll have a little section on there saying like, oh, which block is it? Mm-hmm. And it refers to which little piece of paraffin embedded section oh, is part of that I specimen. Yeah. Had not paid attention to yeah. before. So then what we do is we have this block of wax with tissue in it. Mm-hmm. Now what we do is we put it through essentially an expensive deli slicer uh, called a uh, a microtome. Okay. And so the microtome cuts it real, real thin, like uh, at the thickness of like microns. Okay. Um, Okay. Thin enough that you can shine light through. What What is the cutting board with? What is it made out of? Um, A very, very thin knife. I'm knife made out of, you know, what alloy? Oh, no idea. Okay, I was, I was going to no be concerned idea. for no a level idea. of nerdness that here we're going to dig into. Don't worry, guys. We're not going there. Stay with us. Yes. So, um, you know, you can imagine as you're trying to cut something extremely thin, uh, if it's hard, mm-hmm. like a piece of bone or a tooth or an odontoma, um, you can't cut through that. Basically, the knife is going to like um, deflect off or mm-hmm. chip off. And so um, what we may have to do before we cut it, um, and actually before we put it in wax, um, is we have to put it in decalcification solution. Okay. That's another cause for making your cases take a little longer. Mm-hmm. If you're sending hard tissue, sometimes we have to decalcify it mm-hmm. in uh, hydrofluoric acid, typically. One minus side of decalcification, again, it's an extremely strong acid. Mm-hmm. You can imagine the amount of acid that you need to make a tooth soft mm-hmm. enough to cut like butter, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. And so um, that amount of acid um, kind of mars the cellular features a little bit, okay. which is problematic. And so for cancer cases, uh, you can imagine that's a little bit of a problem when in order to cut through it, you have to use decalcification. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, it's harder to see the actual cancer. And so, you know, there's there's a line to walk there. And there are some strategies, of course, that we use to get around that a little yeah. bit. But So then uh, we have this little piece of um, this, this wax block. We've cut it. And we have these extremely, like, not even paper thin, like thinner than paper. Mm-hmm. We put that onto a glass slide. And then we can stain it. Uh, usually with H and E, of course. Yeah, that uh, takes me back to my microbiology classes. Oh yeah, That's yeah, the yeah. only time that I ever stain. Did you actually get to like do the staining? Yeah, did the whole staining. <laughs> nice. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, yeah. I mean, our for ours for um, microbiology though. Yeah. Not for still. Yeah, for ours, I mean, we have like a machine that mm-hmm. just handles all the routine staining, oh, wow. which is nice. That is that's really nice. I'm yeah. glad you have that. Yeah. Okay. And then you put a cover slip on it. Um, cover slip has to dry. And then the slide goes to the pathologist. Mm -hmm. Or if you work at a sufficiently, uh, I guess, fancy place, um, uh, one thing that's becoming more and more common in pathology is we're scanning the slides digitally. And the pathologist will review the slides on the computer. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. It's that accurate. Which is is my jam. That that is your jam. I love love the digital path. Yeah. (laughs) It's fun. You can do fun algorithmic stuff with with all those things. That's a whole nother world that's happening out there. The AI of pathology. Yes. It's, it's coming. Oh, it's, it's, it's here. It's, it's, it's here. Huge. It's huge. Oh, yeah. It's here and it's huge. <laughs> it's confirmed. So, yeah. that um, I mean, that's basically it. Basically, uh, we look at it. We type up the report. We finalize it. Uh, it'll get sent to you all by mm-hmm. um, fax or mail. Or um, there are some institutions that have, like, online results portals where mm-hmm. you can log in mm-hmm. and download the PDF. Yeah, for sure. And sometimes, uh, oftentimes, then, I get a mail. Yeah, so, and then that's it. Okay. 
What should we do differently when we communicate? Minus filling out the form, guys. <laughs> the um, uh, I mean, so that that that's that's the biggest thing that can kind of throw a wrench in the process. In terms of making your pathology, I guess, a little better, be to give in-depth clinical histories. Um, what are there's we talking cer- about here? There's certainly a lot of variability mm-hmm. in uh, the quality of the clinical history. Many people do a great job at describing, you know, the size, the color, growth pattern, a specific location, texture, mm-hmm. multilocularity, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And then um, others will say, like, lesion. Or rule rule out cancer, and it's like, well, was helpful. I, I'm hoping that there's a lesion, right? If, <laughs> yeah, if, yeah. if 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 you're bothering to have an intervention, you know, I mean, I would think that there is something there. But the problem is, is the pathologist has to use entirely the histologic features mm-hmm. in order to make the diagnosis. And in many cases, I mean, look, that's that's fine. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, we we can either get a definitive diagnosis or at least get close enough about a good clinical history, but there are some things where having um, a full clinical history allows us to give more specific diagnoses. So as an example, uh, adonogenic cysts. Mm -hmm. An inflamed cyst looks, for the most part, just like any other inflamed cyst. We get that a lot. Inflamed cysts. Like like a lot. That's that's the bread and butter right there, you know? (laughs) Um, And so if, if all I know is that, you know, you're considering a cyst Mm -hmm. and I see an inflamed cyst, I'm going to call it, if you can guess, the inflamed cyst. An inflamed cyst. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no drum I'm, I'm not going to call then. it like a ridiculous cyst. I'm not going to call it a dentedrous cyst. It could be either. But I don't know what it is because I don't have the clinical history. I see. Now that's not that important of a distinction, but you you might imagine if you know as a clinician you have a high suspicion for an OKC. Okay. Yeah. And as a pathologist, I see the requisition form and it says cyst doesn't say anything about okc doesn't mention any sort of suspicion doesn't mention like a size whether or not it's associated with the packed tooth yada 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 and so when i'm looking at it i'm basically just going to call it an inflamed cyst oh whereas had i known that you were suspecting an okc we we could consider doing additional tissue cuts okay um to go see if there is more okc somewhere else sometimes we find it usually we don't but it is possible for us looking through you know many many levels which we done before on request so Um, let me ask you this mm -hmm. how many of those paraffin wax slices Mm -hmm. of the gross specimen that we sent do you guys Mm -hmm. look at before making the final diagnosis by default one oh yep and then if we are suspecting that the histology isn't matching the clinical Mm -hmm. description if there's you know you know if we're having a hard time making a good clinical and pathologic correlation Mm -hmm. then usually we will get additional cuts now you have to remember that in order to cut through all of the tissue all of these new slices that we create Mm -hmm. they're all going to be really close to each other so they usually don't show anything too remarkably different until you start cutting like 20 slides in. If I order 20 slides on a case regularly, uh, I feel like our, our department administrator is going to be upset with me. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. So, so, you know, it's something that we can do. And um, pathologists will do that, I would say, by default, if the clinical pathological correlation isn't there. Okay. Good to know. Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. 
And so, so, so you know, when you're when you're filling out the clinical history, you know, if it's a cyst, at least tell if it's if it's associated with the crown of an impacted tooth. If it's uh, periapical pathology, you know, is the tooth vital? Uh, that'll help us be more confident in determining whether or not this is a piece of periapical pathology that's related to a non-vital tooth, or perhaps there might be some other pathology going on. Another example of things that I wish we had more clinical history on would be uh, uh, lichenoid lesions. Okay. Lichen planus is is um, very, 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 very challenging to diagnose by histology alone. The general consensus is that we can't diagnose it on histology alone because complanus has a somewhat variable appearance. It usually has fairly consistent features, but because these are lesions that wax and wane, mm-hmm. the histology can change as it waxes and wanes. And there are other things like uh, lupus can look histologically very similar. Certain drug reactions can look similar. And of course, you know, if the biopsy is relatively shallow and we can't see deeper, you know, it may be hard for us to uh, compare and contrast like um, various kinds of lichenoid mucositis versus lichen planus. And so having a fuller clinical history can help us make that correlation with you a little bit better. Uh, One thing that I usually recommend to people is to see the AAOMP position paper that was released in, I think, 2016 something like okay. that, that describes the diagnostic process for lichen planus, all of the mimickers that it can have, mm-hmm. as well as provide a clinical checklist of things for you all to ask the patients and send along with the specimen so that way we have an adequate amount of clinical history. We will look that paper up and put it on our Instagram. So yes, it'll be please. Easy click away. Yes, please. Okay, so... That's really useful to know. What else? Is there anything else? Your final words of wisdom to all Uh, the surgeons out there? You know, if you ever have questions, just call your pathologist. Mm -hmm. Um, We're pretty easy to talk to. I think. I can't vouch for <laughs> I, I this think so. one. Right. At, le- at least this one, I think I'm easy to talk to. Um, you know, especially if you feel like the diagnosis isn't matching the clin- the clinical picture, you know, because uh, it's like sometimes, uh, you know, if on the clinical history we wrote something like leukoplakia and it comes back as like epithelial hyperkeratosis, mm-hmm. but you're looking at the clinical picture and you're like, it seems like it's probably going to be squamous cell carcinoma. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. Like call the pathologist and and work through either whether or not uh, the pathologist should look at additional levels or whether or not you should try biopsying from a different location. The pathologist uh, can be very helpful in making those kinds of determinations. I would think that um, our more uh, experienced listeners uh, probably have uh, noticed this by now. Um, I don't know if your attendings ever tell you how to decode certain words in pathology reports. Tell us, tell us. One of the main jobs of a pathologist is... To communicate a diagnosis, right? But also to communicate when we're uncertain. Okay. Right? And, you know, there are various levels of uncertainty. There is, you know, sometimes I have uncertainty about what I personally know. Mm -hmm. And there are other times when I have uncertainty about what can be known. Okay. Um, Okay. The first thing is easy to solve. You know, you you can send it to somebody who's more experienced in that specific area. Sometimes we get lymphomas. Like, I'm like, okay, I know it's a lymphoma, but, you know, the diagnosis for lymphomas is... like getting ever more challenging every Mm -hmm. day. And so I want to have a hematopathologist look at it. Why is it getting more challenging every day? Lymphomas currently are, if you look at the WHO, there's this interesting trend of sort of splitting out the diagnosis and the categorization of lymphomas based on molecular findings. 
So like very fast moving. It's very fast moving. And our hematopathologists are very knowledgeable about that. So anytime I have lymphoma, I'm like, okay, I'm taking it down the hall to our hematopathologists. But that's the first thing. So that's easy to find out. It's communicating what can't be known. Okay. And so sometimes we will use certain words and terms to communicate that we think we know, but there isn't a way to be 100% sure given what we have. Okay. And so one of the terms you might have seen is consistent with. Yes. I have seen that a lot. Yes. So consistent with is like the pathologist's way of saying like, "Mm, so it's probably this, but like... Not like 100%, but we're, we're pretty sure. Okay. We're pretty sure. Okay. Right? That's essentially what consistent with means. Did not know that. Yeah. So yeah. that's those are the times that it's probably a good idea to like call up your pathologist and give them a little bit more information. Be like, are you sure? How sure? How how more sure are you now that you know yeah. that? Yeah. I mean, I mean that you, you can definitely do that approach. Consistent with is also sometimes used for a, an if you say so. Or um, more often, uh, it's compatible with it, and if you say so. Yeah. So, for example, if you send me, like, a torus. Mm -hmm. A torus just looks like dense bone. I can't tell if something's a torus or not. That's true. Just based on histology. So I'll be like, dense bone, compatible with torus. Yeah. If if you, like, like, I'm like, yeah, sure. This is what a torus would look like. This is the only thing that looks like this. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, sure. It's compatible with the torus. Okay. Um, Any other word that means less sure? Yes. So uh, consistent with is like the highest confidence uncertainty. Compatible with is, I guess, kind of like the next level. And then suggestive of is another step lower. Typically, we use suggestive of when... So, for example, like, uh, I'll, I'll go what we call descriptive, where I'll describe what I see. Mm-hmm. And if there can be multiple things, I might say, like, suggestive of one thing or another. Another thing that is kind of similar is favor. Okay. Or most in keeping with or most consistent with. That's when we give, like, a larger differential and we basically pick our favorite. Okay. But we can't totally rot the other ones. So most in keeping with, you know, if you give us like um, a piece of like small tissue and it's cauterized and we think that there might be like squamous cell carcinoma in there, mm-hmm. you know, um, because we have to express a certain amount of uncertainty because it's a small piece of tissue. We're not totally sure. Um, we would say like small cauterized piece of tissue, uh, most in keeping with a squamous cell carcinoma. Depending on the pathologist, if they're a little less common uh, or confident about it, uh, they might say small cauterized piece of tissue suggestive of squamous cell carcinoma. So these are words that we all use to express the level of confidence we have in evaluating tissue. Okay, that's a very good pro tip. Yeah. So fill out the forms. Yep. Yes, please. Give clinical information. Mm -hmm. Yep. Read that report carefully. Okay. Until next time, goodbye. See you later.